we have a very exciting panel up here, and I'm just going to take the easy way out, introduce the um, head of the panel, and then she's going to introduce everyone else to you. So the name of the, the session that you're in is Living with Vision Loss, and our own Julie Brannon is uh, chairing this panel. So take it away, Julie. All Thank right. you. I was so excited when the convention committee agreed this would be important. We have so many members in WCB who are dealing with vision loss as adults and just an important topic. And we have phenomenal panelists. So excited for all of you. Each of them, let me give you an outline of what they're doing. It's going to talk 20 minutes because we have an hour and they'll be ending their talk a few minutes early to ask for questions from the audience in person and from the Zoom audience. So our first panelist, I'm going to just tell you who they're all going to be. And it's going to be John Holiday for our first one, Heidi Coggins is our second, and Tim Downey for our third. So let's welcome them. Yay. And Good afternoon. My name is John Halliday. Uh, I'm an uh, enrolled Muckleshoot tribal member, and I'm 57 years old. I went blind two years ago. And when I went blind, um, I was serving as the deputy regional director for the Bureau of Indian Affairs. I was a GS-15, which is the top of the GS scale. And only right above me is Senior Executive Service, and they serve directly to the cabinet for the president. So I was six places away from the president. I have a master's degree in public administration. I was a, mer a presidential merit scholar. Uh, I served as, uh, before that, I was the CEO for Muckleshoot, and I was the CEO for Snoqualmie. I was the tribal liaison for the Assistant Secretary for Water and Science, who oversees the Bureau of Reclamation and the U.S. Geological Service. And I was the tribal liaison for the City of Seattle under the Nichols administration. How I got... Uh, blind is um, I was working in Gallup, New Mexico for the Navajo region as their deputy regional director. Uh, the Navajo region is 15 and a half million acres of land. It takes five hours to drive across. It's 28% uh, of the state of Arizona is uh, Indian reservation. So I'm not sure if you've ever been down there, but there's a lot of tribes, Navajo, Hopi, Zuni, Wallapai, Pima, uh, Isleta, uh, a lot of tribes down there. And um, I uh, went in for a routine surgery. And because um, it was pandemic, I decided to come home and have a routine surgery, the tonsillectomy, because I wanted to be around home and family. My wife was living up here. She was working uh, for the federal government for the Census Bureau doing outreach. And um, she was at our family home in Tacoma, Washington, and I wanted to be around family to recuperate. So um, I told the doctor that I was allergic to uh, opiates, and um, she gave me opiates anyway, and I had an allergic reaction, and I died. And my wife had to give me CPR, and I was dead for 10 to 12 minutes before the um, paramedics came and brought me back to life. And um, as a result of the lack of oxygen, to my brain, I'm legally blind now. Um, so I woke up in the hospital legally blind, 
And um, I could no longer do what I used to do. I used to do presidential and congressional correspondence. I used to, you know, be that kind of person that was meticulous about my writing. And, um, you know, everything for congressional correspondence has to be exactly five spaces down and then the the date and then who you are and what this blah, 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 you know, to where I can't see what I write. And not being able to read emails, not being able to read texts. And when I got out of the hospital, they signed me up for physical therapy, but they didn't give me a list of things or people to contact or a network. And so basically, if I didn't have my wife who helped me fill out all the forms and you know, Google stuff on the internet to try and find places and file for disability retirement, uh, you know, help with social security and everything else. I would have been lost if I was alone. I could not imagine how it would be to just get Ubered back to your house and try and make it through the front door and put your key into the lock and come in and sit down and not know what the hell you're going to do with your life, not have any guidance or any kind of uh, network of support. I used to paint and I, I lost my job. We're using my retirement to survive. We don't know what we're going to do. We don't know if we're going to, our house is going to get repoed and our cars are going to get repoed and we don't know what's going to happen. And I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't read or write anymore. I'm trying to learn how to use technology. They did hook me up with John Pensera. I don't know if you guys know him from New York. He's helped, helped me with learning how to use a phone, but he's a great guy. About six months in, I used to paint 20 years ago, and I quit painting because of my executive work. And my wife said, I wonder if you can still paint. And so I said, well, I don't know. So she bought me this stuff, a canvas, and left me at her mom's house up in Anacortes and um, said, I'll be back in two weeks. And in that time, I produced a bear a bear painting and it actually kind of looks okay, you know, and I, I had a, a little bit of hope. Well, maybe I can do something. So then I, I started doing more, doing more paintings, doing more paintings. And I can't really see what I paint, but it's like when you learned how to write your name, you know, the shape it's making. So I know what the shape is the brush is doing on the canvas. And then I can see the blurry outline of something. And then I ask people, well, what does it look like? And they tell me, you know, and it, and it eventually comes into being something. So anyway, I just kept doing these. I don't know what I was doing. I didn't know what for or how. And then about a year into it, Somehow my wife heard about the Disabilities Commission from Tacoma. So I got on there and I joined their meeting. And then from there, I learned about the um, Pierce County um, Association for the Blind. And I got on there 
And through the Pierce County Association for the Blind, I volunteered to be on the advisory board for the Museum for Glass. And there, a gal named Sue Warner, who's the curator for the Lakewald Gardens, I had introduced myself as an artist, and she looked at my paintings and said, I want you to do a show for us. So I did a show in July at Lakewald Gardens. And then John Pensera from New York hooked me up with Barbara Oswald from Revision Arts in Seattle, and she wanted me to be a part of their show for blind artists at, at Seattle Center. And so I had three of my works in their show at Seattle Center also in July. Now I've been recruited by the Sacred Circle Gallery of American Indian Art in Seattle. Uh, to have a show for the month of January, all exclusive me in January, and you're all invited. But I think what the lesson is, is that I've been a Muckleshoot tribal member my whole life. I, we have uh, ancestry and family going back 10,000 years here. But what I've learned is I have a new tribe. And my new tribe is the Southern Puget Sound Blind tribe. And those are my people. And networking has given me a ray of hope. So that's my story. Any questions from the audience? Good afternoon. This is Melissa Hudson. John, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that beautiful story with us. You're going to really be an inspiration to a lot of people. And I just want to say thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, John, this is Mark Adrian. I'm going to suggest that you get a hold of the art school at the University of Washington, their graduate area, and talk to them about a show at their, at their uh, art gallery on campus. When I worked with DSB, we did a touching art exhibit there, and I educated a bunch of graduate student artists on how to create tactile artwork that actually then looks visual. And they're currently organizing uh, a focus on um, a tangible art for people that are blind or low vision. So I would uh, contact them. Well, thank you. And um, for that show for the blind, I did a tactile piece that's on display in the vendor area of killer whales that are made out of sand and glass bead and paint. And you can feel the killer whales, you can feel the lightning, you can feel the clouds, you can feel the ocean, and you can feel the frame of the painting. And I, I just came up with this on my own. I didn't know there was a world where they teach it. I just, I made the, the lightning out of glue. So, and then I put glue on the, the ocean so it feels wavy. And I mixed sand and seed beads with the paint for the killer whales. So they have, they're bumpy. And then the clouds I made out of bathroom caulking. So it's kind of squishy. And then for the frame, I used a spray paint that has sand in it. So, and then I, my wife and I, cause we didn't also know what to do. We created a, a business selling Native American jewelry of silver and turquoise. So that's also on display in the vendor area, a business that we created um, as, you know, me being a blind business owner. Hi, John. 
Thank you for sharing. I have a very respectful question for you. What is your name, Muckleshoot? My Indian name is Aukali. It means mischief maker. My grandmother gave me that name when I was three. One last thing. My artist name is Coyote. And I signed that Coyote because the Coyote is a survivor. And so am I. And I'm, and I'm a proud member of the Southern Puget Sound Blind Tribe. Thank you, John. Glad to have you. Next, we have Heidi Coggins. Uh, hi, everybody. Good afternoon. My name is Heidi Coggins. Um, is everybody having a good time? Yeah? I got to hit that techno uh, the techno thing about the GPS before lunch. That was amazing. That was really cool. Uh, so I a little bit about me. Uh, I am a wife, a mother of three young adults uh, that have been going through this journey with me. And um, I was previously employed, I say previously employed, uh, because in April of 2021, just last April, I underwent a gentle glaucoma procedure. Um, and I need to step back for a second and let you know that I also have a prosthetic right eye since I was about 18 due to an injury. So I've been running off of one eye for a pretty long time. And this gentle procedure resulted in two days later me waking up and having complete and total vision loss. I was the one to two percent of complications. And if my husband were here, he would tell you that yes, I am complicated. So <laughs> Shh. listen here, peanut gallery. <laughs> um so I, I will tell you this. I, I during this whole fiasco, I'm going to call it. Um, I went through several surgeries to try to correct my gentle procedure uh, that apparently did not work because by October, the doctor said, ooh, you have an, a disorganized eye and we can do nothing more for you. So I went, oh, and then there was nothing else. Nothing. Zero crickets. Uh, so I started reaching out and trying to find resources, and I went through Lighthouse, and then I finally happened upon DSB. DSB! Yeah. Uh, because I will tell you, uh, for those of you, just, just so I can gauge our audience here, um, how many of you, give me one clap, how many of you have been going through vision loss later in life? One clap. Oh, there's a lot of, oh my goodness, okay. Well, then this is a great panel. Yes, All right. <laughs> So for those of you that have experienced this or anybody that's experiencing any vision loss at any point in life, it is really heartbreaking to lose that independence. Oh my gosh. I, I went through a period of a good six months or so. I couldn't drive my car. I couldn't walk my dogs. I couldn't, I couldn't even walk to my mailbox. Mm -hmm. I couldn't feed myself. And I had spent most of my life working at my career full time, taking care of my three kids, running my house like a boss. And the boss had to step away for a few minutes. So uh, I finally got into the DSB um, and I started here this last March. And let me tell you, life changing, y'all, life changing. During this whole process, I also was working with my employer of 26 years to file accommodations. And this last July, I had to exit stage left on my employer. And so now I am beginning my second act. Uh, because of the OTC, my instructors have allowed me to 
get back on the horse, so to speak. Donna, I got back the joy of cooking, y'all. Okay, so there's that, all right? And uh, Alice and Robin, I got to walk to my mailbox. Yeah. Hello, right? And I'm still working on that. I'm going to be getting a guide dog at some point, I'm sure. Um, I also am learning Braille, um, which is, ooh, puzzling. It's puzzling, but I love puzzles, so I'm okay with that. And then I have Miss Miranda. I don't know if she's in here. Miranda! Yeah! Uh, Miranda has given me also my joy of technology because that's what I've done for 20 plus years. I've been in tech and phones and tech and computers. Um, so I am slowly but surely gathering my way back to all the joys that I had before. And uh, my second act is going to be awesome. I'm really, really excited about the new paths that I'm on. One of the things that I really learned about this besides losing independence and all the other, you know, hardships that come with blindness is that sometimes in life, you don't get to choose what you get, but you do get to choose how you deal with it and what path you take going forward. So I'm choosing my learning paths and I'm choosing joy and I'm also a proud member of Snohomish County Council, Snohomish County, um, which I've met such excellent people just through networking and, you know, finding these resources. Uh, my buddy Tim is up here with me. Um, I have quite a few of my Snohomish County folks. And I have like this other family. Yeah, it's Snohomish County. Um, and I have this other family at OTC, too, because, yeah. Y'all are in full effect right now. That's right. Um, but thank you guys so much for having me here. I really, I'm having such a good time with this whole process. This has been really, really eye-opening. Eye-opening. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, to all of you that are asking how old I am, age is a number and I'm 29. My oldest son is 24. Started young. First, I want to say that both Heidi and Tim are with Snohomish County Council of the Blind. So, Snohomish County Council of the Blind rocks. I would like to know, for someone who has just lost their, losing, lost their eyesight, how can your spouse be the best help? Anybody, any of you, either Tim can answer this or even John or Heidi. Can, Tim can do it when he's done. But how can your spouse help you the best? You know, this is a big learning curve for everybody. Um, this is something that you bounce into, like, especially when it's sudden, like mine. Um, it's, you know, you wake up one day and you're totally blind. Nobody really knows what to do or where to go. So my husband has been really trying so hard to be as supportive as possible. He attends like some of the, the functions we go to. And in the beginning, he was having a really hard time just like trying to open doors for me and like he'd try to, you know, physically navigate me places. Yeah. <laughs> and he he was really, he's, he's basically been training along with me when it comes to doing certain things. And um, just basically being kind of an ear and a shoulder, especially those first few months. Y'all, yeah. I was on some heavy steroids and I was seeing things, I'm just <laughs> saying. <laughs> and uh, he, he was just there to be like an ear and a shoulder and he's just been really super supportive when it has to go with all the doctor's appointments. My kids too. Oh my gosh. My kids are amazing. So they just kind of ran with this. They're like, yeah, mom's blind, whatever. So let's go do this thing, mom. Okay. <laughs> let's go. Yeah, mom, you can do it. Um, I, I was learning my cane work and I was just starting to get onto the cane and I was maybe like three days into it. 
and my youngest son, we, we get to the, we get home, we get in the driveway and my son, you know, opens his door and he goes up to the stairs and he goes, you got a cane. And I went, Oh, okay. I'm like, oh, aren't you going to help? He goes, no, you got a cane. Oh my. Oh, oh my heart. And then I'm thinking, you know, if this were him, I would probably do the same thing. <laughs> so it's been kind of a little bit of like the balancing of tough love and, and knowing that, you know, I have the capabilities in me to do things and them being able to still push me and be okay with it. There's just a million different ways that they've been helpful. And sometimes those ways to be helpful are backing off and letting me do it. I don't even live in Snohomish County and I want to vote for you. You all should come to Snohomish County. We're awesome. Okay. <laughs> My middle name? Oh, Renee. It's French. Piggybacking off of Danette's question, because I've been in that place. I've been totally blind all my life, so that's, mm -hmm. that's different from you guys. Mm -hmm. And I had a sighted spouse for a while. Don't now, but did then. It was really easy to let them. I mean, and, and it's not something you do... Um, consciously. It's just, you know, oh yeah, you can do this. I know I can, but it's easier if you do it and they do it. And then all of a sudden you find that you're, they're doing a lot of it and you're not. Mm -hmm. Have you guys found that any of you found that to be the case? I had to really force myself into, you know, I can cook. What am I, why am I making him do it? you know, or I can do this, you know, I just, it was just easier. Um, so that, that's my question. Have you, I know you said he was supportive and all that, and I get that, but do you find yourself going, oh, maybe I'll just let him do it this once. Okay. So for the first couple of months I was in really, I was going through surgery, so I was not in shape to do a lot of the things that I wanted to, but I've always, my entire life, been a very fiercely independent person. My husband would call it stubbornness, but I call it independence. Um, so when it came to doing certain things, I, I think that I would step in when I felt that I was comfortable instead of just letting them do things because I don't, I, at some point, my kids are going to move out. It's just going to be me and the husband. And I need to do these things. So I really had to push myself to make sure that I was able to be in the kitchen and doing the different things that I needed to do. And I think that just comes from my independence streak um, versus not, you know, like having somebody else do things for me. Um, I'm Tim Downey. I'm 62 years old and I'm uh, severely vision impaired with keratoconus. Does anybody in here have keratoconus? That's what I thought. It's a pretty rare disease um, and it's genetic. My, just to give you some, some people care about numbers and stuff. My left eye is 20 slash 400. My right is 2250. Both together are 2300. But the kicker is my near, I have near vision where I could see if it's really in front of my face. That is 2100. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. If that was all my vision problems, I'd be good. Um, I'm going to talk more about that, but um, I was, I'm originally from Cleveland. Anybody else? Ohio. No, Ohioan? No. Okay. Um, when I was 18, I left, I joined the Navy. I was in the Navy for 12 years. I was stationed on Whidbey for a while. That's how I eventually got out here. Um, I also spent three years on Guam where one year I was the PSA Guam sailor of the year, which 
Um, when I was in the Navy for the rest of my time, I took a tremendous amount of grief for that. Um, hey, Sailor of the Year, would the Sailor of the Year be too good to take out the trash? You know, that kind of thing. Um, so that was fun. I was also uh, active in Operation Desert Storm and Desert Shield. Um, I won a Navy Achievement, not won, I was awarded a Navy Achievement Medal um, for my actions in that time frame. Um, one of the things I did was I actually developed before this, before Desert Storm and Desert Shield came up, a friend of mine and I developed a computer database which allowed our region to mobilize and deploy all the reservists faster than anywhere else in the country. Um, and so I was involved in all that deployment and things like that. Um, after I got out of the Navy, I went to work at UW Physicians, University of Washington Physicians. I was there for about 12 years. During that time, I worked at both Harborview um, and UW Medical Center with all of the physicians there at both places, very closely with them for years. Um, and at that time, like John, I also have a master's in public administration. So I don't know if that's what happens to all of us alumni. <laughs> they get that. Um, anyway, then I after that, um, I went to work at Radia, which is a radiology company, um, and I worked there for, uh, for like 15 years. I was uh, their privacy and compliance officer and also their director of quality and risk. Um, so Radia is huge. Uh, they are the radiologists that are at Providence, Swedish, Evergreen, Peace Health, Overlake, Multicare, Olympic, Capital Medical, basically most places in Washington state. And we are also um, throughout the country. So when I was there, um, like as I was there for 15 years, I was responsible for all of our privacy and security, compliance with all the federal laws, um, I worked closely with organizations like the Office of Civil Rights, um, Medicare, uh, Medicaid, Department of Health. I would travel around the state um, doing audits of our clinics. I was responsible for, you know, ensuring any new practices that we brought on board were compliant with our procedures and followed them. I did a lot of training. Um, also, having to make sure we were compliant with all the laws. Um, a federal law would come out, it'd be like 2,000 pages long. I would read it in a week and then come out with a one-page summary of what we needed to do. Um, and I'd report that to the board and the president um, of all that. So that was all, you know, I had quite a career going. And then around November of 2020, I started having eye problems, um, had harder times seeing things. Um, I worked with my uh, IT guys on trying to make my computer screens darker and fonts larger, anything I could do. I, in November of 2020, I went to the eye doctor and she says, wow, your prescriptions really changed a lot. So they gave me new glasses. In the two weeks that it took the glasses to come in, my prescription had already radically changed. Um, and so they were no good. This happened three times in a row. And finally, they said, you know, the problem's not our prescription. It's your eyes. <laughs> and um, so, and then one day I was driving and going up a hill and um, there was sun coming out. And I couldn't see. It was everything was bright white light. And I could only see the taillights of the car in front of me. And I was just following it. And I was asking myself, why isn't anybody else pulling off the road? I don't understand. And then this is great. I went home that night. I was like, oh my God, I got to turn on the news because I know they're going to talk about whatever this was, like some giant solar flare or some eclipse. Well, <laughs> 
The problem wasn't the universe. It was me. <laughs> there was no talk about it on the night, on the news that night. So then in March, 2021, I'm having all these problems. And um, I was on a Zoom meeting with my boss, the chief medical officer of our practice. She wanted to discuss an email. I had it pulled up on my computer. It was huge, right? And she started talking about it. She says, oh, look at paragraph two. And I'm like, I can't see it. And she'll say, she said, I'll re-forward the email to you so you could read it. I'm like, no, it's on my screen. I can't read it at all. Um, that afternoon, I talked to my primary care doctor and he goes, you need to stop working like now. Like, you know, and I was on a waiting list to get into a sur eye surgery practice. Um, when I finally got in to see the eye surgeon, she told me, your eyes are a hot mess. I don't know if that's an official diagnosis, but, <laughs> um, anyway, coming from an eye surgeon, that meant a lot to me. I'm like this, this person sees patients that need, you know, eye operations all day long. And she's telling me my eyes are a hot mess. So she said I needed a, um, cornea transplants in both eyes. I had not only character to Conus, but I also had um, Fuchs dystrophy, cataracts, and she says everything that's your, your eyes are just bad. So I was also at the same time having severe joint problems and I couldn't sleep at night. My hips were hurting so bad. Um, I couldn't walk without a walker either. So I was, I was just falling apart. So in 2021, I had a corneal transplant on my left eye. And then a couple months later, a hip replacement. Um, on my, for my left hip. And then I developed sepsis after that. So sepsis is blood poisoning and it's, it's a bad thing. Um, I was really near death. I mean, one of the doctors one day said, Hey, we're trying to take your blood pressure. And there's like almost nothing like it's just, it's just, we're having a hard time even finding any. So um, I was in the hospital a week. I was really, I could barely walk. I was dizzy, I not eating, severely weakened. I, I was just a mess. And, you know, I had home, they discharged me to home health and I had home health nurses visit every day, you know, checking on me and doing all kinds of things. And then I needed to get back in shape because I had a, a right, I had an, a, my right cornea transplant scheduled for September. So um, this year I rounded it out by having my right hip replaced. So I had four major surgeries in like 16 months, wow. which is not cool. The cornea transplants didn't work. Um, I have a friend in WC in, in Washington council for the blind with keratoconus that I met through our chapter. Um, and I love her. She told me that doctors look at her as if she were a unicorn. <laughs> and man, when she said that, that resonated. I said, because it's like, they've never seen one of us before and don't know what to do with us. So I totally understand that feeling. Um, I describe my vision today as being in a bubble. I can see very close to me, but anything a little bit away is blurry. Um, worse yet, anything with a light source, I see multiple of. When I look at the night sky, I see nine moons and they're not just like faint images. They're distinct planets that are separate. And sometimes it's beautiful. I, I, I go and stare at the sky because it's just amazing. And they're so real to me. I don't know which one's the real moon, which ones are fake. Um, and it's like, I'm in my own dimension. Um, I could light a set of candles and I'll see, the two candle flames, and then about three inches above it, I'll see another set of candle flames, and three inches above that, I'll see another set. Um, so anything with light, and I'm also really light sensitive. Light 
bothers me. I, I always joke that maybe the people that I got the transplants from were vampires, right? And I got vampire eyes or something. So, you know, it, it, it's hard. And, you know, some of this stuff is so real that I've actually whipped out my phone before to take a picture of it so I could show somebody else. And then I realized, oh, if I take a picture, they're not going to see what I see. So, um, you know, and I, I, you know, and I, with the light sensitivity, I can't look at a computer screen or a phone screen or anything like that for more than 30 minutes without getting this raging eye headache. I just can't do it. My brain continually tries to make sense of what I'm seeing. Um, there was one day I was out walking and I could have sworn, I mean, if, if police would have stopped me and asked me, I would have said that I saw a man in a wheelchair talking to a woman in a red coat, leaning over to talk to him. And so I actually didn't walk on the sidewalk. I walked on the curb so that they wouldn't have to move. Cause I thought, Hey, you're in a wheelchair. That's, I don't want you to have to move for me. Right. Um, but when I walked past him, it was dead silent. And I'm like, well, that's weird. So I went over closer and I took a picture and it was actually a fire hydrant and a red fire post. Um, but that's what I mean. My brain is trying to make sense um, of what it sees. And one day there's a church across from where I live and I could have sworn there were two giant, like 60 foot tin soldiers out front. And it was just a tree cutting service, but honestly, my brain said 10 soldiers. And I'm like, that can't be right. You know? So um, that's where, like I said, my vision impairment um, it's exhausting, right? Cause I, my brain is trying to make sense of what it sees all day. And so I have to take naps and sometimes I have to step away and just shut everything down and get into a dark place and, you know, kind of reset. Um, and because of all that, my cognitive function suffers. Um, remember I said my job, I used to read these 2000 page, you know, laws in a week and all that stuff. I can't make it through a children's book right now. Like, you know, one of the like things from the boxcar children series, you know, or um, all the kind family, it, I struggle. And it doesn't matter if I'm listening to it on audiobook or I'm reading it. Um, my brain just can't track it. So you know, it's funny, like my, I have better luck with um, things that I watched before my vision issues, like old time TV shows, old time movies, things that I'm familiar with those, like my memory's fine. It's learning new things that aren't working right. You know, during all this in my career, I worked really closely with doctors, right? So I know doctors, I know their language, I know how they work, I know how they think. What was frustrating to me is they're all trying to address the biologic problem, not my living problem. Like nobody's trying to help me to figure out how to live. How do I, how do I, you know, transport myself from point A to B? Um, no, the system doesn't even pay attention to that. So um, you know, I lost my job. I sold my car, surrendered my driver's license. Um, I had to quit attending my synagogue because it was so non-ADA friendly. Um, it has lots of stairs. There's no accommodation for nothing. So um, I also sold my coin collection. You know, all these things require vision. Um, and, you know, I had my uh, huge book collection. I sold it, uh, gave away my drawing supplies to my daughter. Um pretty much everything in my old life no longer worked. So like at age 61, I needed to re completely rebuild my life. I was able to get um, DART, which are, which are our local paratransit service, 
but good Lord, it is so not reliable, right? It'll strand you. It'll take you, you know, if you want to go on a 15 minute trip, plan for three hours at least. So I also have learned to use, you know, Lyft and Uber um, at times. Um, I've learned how to get my prescriptions delivered, my groceries delivered. Um, I am married, but like to Danette's question, my spouse can't help me with anything. She's overwhelmed um, by being the sole driver for our teenager and the sole worker in our house. And I can't ask her you know, just to take me to the drugstore for a prescription refill, it will just not be good. So, you know, like Heidi, I'm pretty independent. So I was able to adjust to that. And I actually think her not helping me at all with anything is good because I've learned to be incredibly independent. When I was in the midst of all this, I was reaching out and calling everywhere. I called, I didn't care who you were. I was calling churches, um, senior centers, the Lighthouse for the Blind, DSB, anybody. And sadly, you know, that was during some of the COVID stuff. And a lot of people never called me back, even though I repeatedly called some of them and left emails and did all everything I could. And don't even get me started on social security disability. <laughs> yes. I mean, they recently, after a, over a year, they recently sent me a letter saying they thought I can do my old job. Um, and nobody thinks that. Not my eye surgeon. She sent them a letter. Um, not my old coworkers. Nobody. So it's just crazy. We're still in the appeal process. So um, some good things happened. I did find a new um, synagogue to go to. Um, when I called them, they said they were having a launch party for a blind and deaf member who had just written a book and they offered to bring me to the service. And when I arrived, they had a large print and braille prayer book available. Like, okay. So I joined because like, I don't need someone to hit me over the head that hard. Right. Another place that I found that was great was this Washington council for the blind. They actually called me back and Jim Turi was the one who called me. Jim was so friendly and calm. He invited me to some Zoom calls. He hooked me up with my awesome local chapter where I was soon talking to Marilee Richards. Um, she's been a great help because she understood what severe vision impairment was like. Um, and when I, I joined as a lifetime member of uh, Washington Council for the Blind right away because I was so excited that somebody <laughs> was like, you know, there. Um, I was just really happy to find a group that would help. So you know, a couple of other things. Uh, this year, my eye surgeons recommended additional laser surgeries. And something about the way the surgeon presented it sounded weird. So I scheduled a second follow-up and I saw a different surgeon in the same practice. And I said, I, I don't want to have another surgery just to have one. And she did another exam of my eyes. And she goes, Tim, I think you're right. Like, I think my partner was grasping at straws. We don't know what to do to help you. And she says, you're right. This surgery is going to likely leave you with more side effects. And uh, so, you know, the message here is when you're dealing with physicians, feel free to push back if something doesn't sound right to you. Right. Um, I go in prepared to my, my doctor visits. I dictate into my computer what I want to talk about. And I hand it to them when I walk in. Um, and I don't leave until we've talked about everything on there because I'll forget when I'm in there. Yeah. So it's good. You know, it's been hard doing all this stuff. It's hard losing my job and ability to drive, letting go of my career. Um, I don't know exactly kind of like John, what the future holds. Right. Um, but today I have friends, right. I have support. 
Um, I've been seen now by the Seattle Lighthouse and I'm going to, you know, they have a long waiting list because there's a huge demand and there's like everything else, there's not enough support for us. Right. So um, I hope to eventually be able to clear out some of the noise that's caused by all this visual input and things. Um, but I'm doing well. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy with my new temple with WCB. Um, I co-host one of the weekly ACB phone calls, the Jewish hour every Monday with Lynn Corral. Um, I think Lynn is here. Uh, awesome, Lynn. And that has been great because that's just another community. And that that call, um, just to let you know, right, it's primarily for Jewish people, but we uh, there's Christians and other people who attend that are just interested and we welcome everybody. So, um, but that that group has also been another source of community. So I feel good today, right? Like, through, you know, uh, ACB, WCB, and the Jewish Hour, and my local chapter, and the synagogue I have, I feel like I'm rebuilding my life, right? Um, And I really, my therapist once said, you know, you're one of the only clients I have that never asked, like, why me? And I think I just don't see the world that way, right? Um, I look at there's bad things that happen to people all the time. You know, I mean, I think about the Holocaust, of course, right? And all those people suffered horribly and they didn't do anything except exist, right? Before then, that was all their their fault was. So I just don't see that we get rewarded and punished that way. So I don't think that way. Um, but anyway, I'm really grateful now um, in our local chapter. Um, I have friends, you know, we can go out to lunch, Um you know, with Alan, he's here, and um, I go out to lunch with him sometimes, and there's lots of people here that I connect with um, regularly, either through Zoom or phone calls or texts or whatever. So I'm just really grateful to be here. I'm grateful to be part of this and this community I have with you guys. Thank you. Hi, Tim. This this is Lynn. I'm really happy to have met you in the group, and you've been a really bright spot. And, you know, um you know, me being Jewish by birth and you being a Jew by choice, I think it's a great combination. And me being blind from birth and you being a newly blinded, I think it's a great combination. But I want to say what all of you brought to this is reinventing yourself. When my husband died in 2016, I had to do that too. I'm still doing it. I think, you know, when you, when you have a roadblock in your life, and I did when my husband died, my financial status changed, everything changed. And you know, it changes when, when a big thing happens to you, whatever it is, whether you're losing a spouse or losing your sight, it's the same damn thing. And I think that when we think of reinventing ourselves and saying, who can I be now? Who's going to tell me what to do now? Who, who, who can, how can I make my life a worthwhile endeavor? So thank you, Tim. All right. Thank you, Lynn. I, you, I've learned a lot from you. You are on those calls. You're so you love everybody, which is amazing to me. I mean, you just are so good uh, talking with people and respecting them. And, you know, really, I'm so grateful that you've created a place for us. So thank you, Tim, for sharing your story. And I just want everybody to know, you just heard Tim's story. And that's why Tim Downey is one of our first timers. Yay. So hi, Tim, this is Judy Brown. Hi, Judy. Good to hear from you. And I, Thank you for everything that you said, especially about pushing back sometimes when you hear something from a doctor that just isn't clicking in your head. Uh, I went through very similar things because I have a rare eye thing as well. And I went undiagnosed for months while they 
threw everything at me to figure out what was going on. And I also went through some of the stuff as far as like, this chair doesn't make any sense to me anymore. What is it? And it, for my, my brain, I realized my brain had to reorganize itself and it does take some time. And I know while you're going through that, it's painful. I threw more fits than you could possibly imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to encourage everybody that if you come across, if, if another change happens in your life, or if you know somebody else that's struggling uh, at a later time in their life, losing their vision and they're not getting the answers, tell them to keep asking, keep pushing. There's eventually some sort of answer. It may be just that you need more services because a lot of the eye doctors do not know about the uh, Department of the Services for the Blind. They just don't even tell you. Very true. I had to find out accidentally on Facebook. <laughs> so there you go. But thank you very much for speaking. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Judy. And I, that's one of the things I want to do somehow is since I know physicians really well, like how how they work, I'd like to use what I have to help educate them somehow, right? Like help them figure it out because they, they're horrible at this. They just don't get it. I'm retired now, but I work for several years as a, don't throw things at me, as a social security disability adjudicator, worked up through management. Um, I, I have a pretty good handle of the rules and I think that you would qualify. And I'd love to talk to you off meeting, um, Lynn, Definitely. Then you can get my contact information from Lynn Coral because um, she's in my chapter. So, and I'd love to do what I can to help. Thank you. I love that. Thank you so much. I know that there are a lot of good doctors and there are some that make mistakes. And um, does anybody know of a good medical malpractice attorney? Yeah. For real? Yeah. yeah I, I would like to know if there, anyone knows of a good one. Hi, so my name is Doreen Cornwell. I want to thank everybody here for your stories. Um, I have to say, I've had to cold call lawyers about weird things, and I have this strategy. Well, there's the Bar Association, WSBA.org, has a whole directory, and sometimes I'll look through the bios and pick two or three I might want to talk to. Talk to the one I'm least likely to work with first, because they'll do, I mean, most of them are like, We'll give you 10 or 15 minutes and they not, might or might not say very much. But my strategies, that, that's worked a couple of different really weird situations. So that's, I don't know any specific malpractice lawyers, but it definitely sounds like that would be a good thing. I do know, I do know of a good lawyer if you have traffic uh, injury issues. But um, the other, the question I was going to ask, um, for those of you who've had work experience, have you ever had work experience where you've had somebody, well, there's two two pieces. One would be if you've had somebody going through the reasonable accommodations process. And the other is, do you have any advice for people? Part of my story is I should have been making reasonable accommodations requests for a long time. But do you have any advice for people who know there's something going on with their vision and how to navigate all of that? Well, um, as an executive for the federal government, yes, I did have people who had accommodation requests. And I always worked really hard to accommodate them. Hmm. I, I firmly believed in uh, sick leave as being a legal right for people. And uh, I pushed back against supervision who did not like that particular um, 
uh, supervisory protocol, but I, I said that I thought that was vitally important to the health. I also wanted my employees to take their annual leave. Um, I, I have a master's degree in administration, and there are studies that prove that people who take care of their health are better workers. And I don't know what, what this mentality is of pre-industrial America, where they think they got to work people at the grindstone till they die. And uh, I think uh, the rest of the, the Western civilization has learned that a healthy worker is a better worker. Um, so anyway, um, I always uh, worked with employees. I, I referred them to the state programs that will pay for uh, their accommodation or I paid for it myself. And I'd, I'd just like to say there's another part of your question about what to do if you think you're having, you know, some issues is, you know, see a doctor. And if you don't like what that one says or it doesn't sound right, go somewhere else. And, um, you know, doctors are people, too. They are overworked. They're stressed out. They have they honestly, there's some doctors that are given so many minutes, you know, their time to like, you know, how quickly are you seeing patients? So that's where you as a patient have to go in prepared for that visit. Like, that's why I said, I dictate and bring my notes in. Like, this is what we want to talk about. Um, this is what I want covered. Um, because you know, they're just moving. And if what they say doesn't sound right, push back. Right. I, I've done that. And I think I have a really good relationship with my eye surgeon because of that. Please make sure to file your accommodation as soon as possible. So if you think you have issues going on, that's something that you should be getting on immediately and not waiting for it. And always get a second opinion. I, I got a second opinion only to be told by UW that I was still disorganized, but um, it, it's helpful though for you to start as early as possible. And that way, whatever your employer has available, they can get on that and start getting the necessary accommodations for you too. Yeah. Okay. This was absolutely marvelous. So thank you all. Um, I I think we have time for a door prize. If our door prize person is here. What we have is a $25 Visa gift card from Yakima Valley Council of the Blind. Kathy Wilson. All right, sure. Let's do one more. Uh, we Ray in there. We have a uh, $25 cash door prize from Tahomish County Council of the Blind, excuse me. And our winner is Danielle Miller. Our winner, Danielle Miller. Give All right. Everybody. I can't think of a better winner than Danielle. Yeah, me neither. Thank you, Daryl.